Hello, Andre or Andro. So what's what's the right pronunciation? <laughs> uh, it's a, you said it both, uh, both names or both variants correctly. It's Andre and Andro. Oh. But some, some people were confused by the J at, at the end of my name. So I switched it to Andro, which is probably easier to understand and most people get it right. But basically so, it's Andy, right? Yeah, it's it's a Slavic variant of Andy. Oh, okay, cool. And uh, the long tradition of the show is I ask my uh, guest the very first time about his very first computer and the first kind of Hello World, or what was your first line, how you started programming? Uh, well, um, I started programming at, uh, I think it was in primary school, even before high school. And uh, the first programming language was something for for children. I think it was Logo, a oh. little turtle, where you <laughs> moved it forward and turned, and then started to learn uh, cycles and some functions. Uh -huh. uh, but then it followed with the real programming language, which was which was Pascal and soon C. So I learned both about roughly the same time at high school. And which computer was it? Do you remember that? Uh, at that time, I think I didn't own any computer, but at the school, there was the, those 386 and 486, and we were really oh. mm -hmm. uh, uh, excited when when they bought some Pentiums. Wow. So this was actually, <laughs> uh, when was it then? It was like uh, 1995, yeah. yeah. 1996. Okay, cool. And yeah, Logo, uh, interesting. So uh, I was a took uh, a look at logo recently there's even a version on for the mac uh, which is nice, <laughs> nicely documented and you can do amazing uh, it can even you know speak and it's a really uh, a nice language or you know nice it is uh, interesting that it's still 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 out there yeah it's good to to teach children there's also this new thing called scratch i think It's also nice. So, so now nowadays it's much easier to teach uh, children and for children to learn with a or, cool programming language. Or maybe, already or maybe does it's some harder. graphics. Maybe it's harder because uh, you know back then logo was already something cool. You know, you could relate to Tron or something. And right now, you know, everyone has an iPad, tablet, or whatever, and everything already looks oh. amazing. So, uh, right. you know, with Scratch, it is like if, if it shows someone Scratch or logo, they will say, "Okay, what is this?" Right? That, that's true. I haven't, I haven't taught uh, children, but I, I know that there are people who, who focus on these, and they soon start uh, using uh, Lego Mindstorm and and Minecraft, which. People with children love and hey, Minecraft they're excited is great. when. Minecraft is, I think, uh, the, a real one. So, uh, the, I yeah, I, like I think it. it's great. I just don't know how, how to programming. So, I don't know if the programming language or the way to program it is easy for children, but probably it is. Uh, with Minecraft, you actually have to, to do it, or you can do it with Java. So, you can uh, actually use jars and, and modify them. Uh, you know, probably Arun Gupta, right? Uh, yes, I do. Yeah, uh, he he wrote actually a book about that. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> okay. So what was your? So you, you then you did something in Pascal uh, and Turbo Pascal, I assume. And yes. What happened then after this? Uh, after after that, uh, I switched high school, mm -hmm. and I was surprised that they were teaching C, so I learned C. 
So that's why I learned both about this at about the same time. And then I went to a university where I used both first with Delphi, mm-hmm. and then I learned C and then soon I discovered Java, mm-hmm. which was uh, used as a programming language. Not directly, I didn't start with the Java course, but I started graphics course. Mm-hmm. And we had an assignment uh, written in Java. Uh, which was using some some UIs, I think Swing, mm-hmm. and we were supposed to build uh, algorithms in in this UI and connect uh, different pieces together. Mm-hmm. And that's how I learned Java. At that time, the UI was very slow, so everybody thought that like Java is just a toy language. Yeah. But I really liked the idea of virtual machine and abstracting mm-hmm. uh, the language from from the hardware, so that developers can focus on the logic and not on things you have to think about it and see in C++, like uh, allocating and releasing memory and uh, doing crazy stuff with pointers. Destructors. Um, <laughs> yes, actually, yes. Yeah. Uh, with Java, it was quite, quite hard to start at the beginning when you look at the hello world in Java, or at least back then. I think it still applies. You have a lot of mess around the hello world with the public static void main and but, imports and But in C++, I remember, was almost the same. And the main difference was that the first argument, I think, in the arcs of the main was the program name. And in Java, it starts with the argument. So this was a minor difference between C++ and Java, as I remember. Uh, possibly. I don't remember in C++ how we started programs. Mm-hmm. Uh, before no. Java... What what you've written with Pascal, so or or C? What you did? There were some you know pet projects, or you have you had something? Mm, I basically did just uh, school assignments. Okay. So why you are interested in programming then? Why you studied uh, computer science? Um, I started to attend uh, a primary school which was uh, focused on mathematics. So that's why we started with logo and programming, mm-hmm. uh, even at primary school. And then uh, I naturally followed. I, I had, a, and I still have a good friend who was really enthusiastic about programming. And he basically drew me to this because he wanted to attend a competition, which was team competition. He needed to a partner. And uh, I joined him and I, I started to love it because uh, it's a creative thing. Okay, First which, I was which thinking, competition was it? Um... I don't remember now. I think it was something called Senate or something. It was, I think, local competition okay. only in Slovakia. Okay. Interesting. And then you started with Java. And uh, as we, uh, this was also my experience, uh, Java was uh, told to be a toy language because of the really bad performance and um, uh, UI performance. But you like that? Or what was your impression of Java? Yeah, I wasn't really concerned that much mm-hmm. because for for learning the language, it was much easier than C++ and even C. C, C was good for lower level programming, but when I wanted to do some UI stuff, it was cool. Uh, it was quite hard to do. So I, I also learned Python, which was quite easy to, to use for doing some some... Uh, UI desktop uh, desktop applications, mm-hmm. 
But for serious uh, stuff and more complicated, uh, I, I like Java because it was also usable on, on desktop, but also on the web to, for writing web applications. And that's where basically I, I saw the potential and where I started using it because at that time, writing web applications was already a big thing. And in the end, we, we wrote a team project to uh, at the end of the university, which was written in Java, and the UI was based on Google Web Toolkit. Mm -hmm. So it supported a browser, but it could also run standalone. Mm -hmm. We just uh, wanted to make it run on both, and Java worked well with that. Mm -hmm. And I assume you use NetBeans, right? Uh, at that time, um, no. No? Actually. Oh. Okay. At the time, I was using Eclipse IDE because uh, I thought it's more mature than NetBeans. And NetBeans at the time was slow because okay. it was running on, on Swing and that was slow. Mm -hmm. But that's not the, the biggest problem. I, I really didn't like how it worked and how it was, how it was tied to Ant uh, build yeah. system. And it wasn't so flexible as Eclipse. Yeah. But la only, only later I discovered that NetBeans has improved mm -hmm. since then and had uh, top quality support for Maven, mm -hmm. which in the past years is uh, the most widely used build system. Mm -hmm. And in Eclipse, Maven is still not a, like really, really easy to work with. Yeah. And uh, uh, so we share a common piece of history. So uh, I also didn't got uh, NetBeans at the beginning. So it had like strange uh uh things like you have to, you had to mounting mount jars in order to put them to a class path and it's really i don't know unusual way of developing and i started with netbeans with netbeans 5 and it was really great and i really enjoyed that from then so now today and yesterday i already have uh, worked some, did some work with uh, netbeans 10 on jdk 11 and it also works nice yeah it does. And uh, okay, and then you do did something with Google Web Toolkit, and um, and uh, I, for me, I really don't like Google Web Toolkit. So I mean, this is like technology from hell. You like that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, at that time, it was interesting because the it was one of the first things for first uh, libraries or, or toolkits to to support um, programming. Um, browser interface or like yeah, web yeah. application in Java alone. Mm -hmm. So you could write programs in Java and translate them to JavaScript yeah. and and call methods on the server from the browser. Mm -hmm. um, but it was quite complicated, so I wouldn't for continue with that. But it was a good experience mm -hmm. um, to to learn it and to use it for the for the project we had. It's just uh, later I found out it's uh, easier to use uh, JSF and Prime Faces instead mm -hmm. of Google Web Toolkit because it's 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 still powerful and it doesn't go in the way. So you can use all the power of HTML and CSS uh, yeah. without too much abstraction. So and then you stick with Java. What were your next projects? So what you did then on the backend? I think you stick um, with the backend, right? Yes, because I found a, a job at a financial institution and uh, the financial institution uh, okay. uh -huh. in a bank. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were using Java and, uh, and Java E. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. actually J2E mm-hmm. back then. I, I uh, called the last train of J2E, mm-hmm. J2E in one four, oh. which I, which was where I was learning uh, Java E mm-hmm. or J2E. But uh, soon soon after I joined the company, we were switching uh, uh, to Java E five. Oh, very good. Uh-huh. And I I discovered that dependency injection works there, so tough. So I like that, mm-hmm. and I I really saw a, a high potential in in the next next components, next development of Java E because uh, although we just jumped on Java E at five, there was already Java E six soon to be released. So I started learning what's coming because we were not on the most up to date application server. At that time, most application servers were keeping up uh, with the new, the latest Java E version very, very long after it was released. Which server you used then? Uh, that that was at that time that was WebLogic, but uh-huh. I think most of the the big application servers, WebSphere's and Tables, suffered from the same thing. They were very slow to ad- adopt uh, the, the latest Java E version. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, I saw saw the progress in the API and and later we were I was using JBoss uh, uh, at another job and I was using Java E6 and later Java E7 mm-hmm. um, so I, I discovered that it's is really from nice nicely thought out uh, API and people who were working behind it were trying to improve well, the legacy of J2E mm-hmm. a lot, and they and they did a great job. And there's still a lot of things to improve, as with any other framework. But uh, the difference from J2 between J2E and uh, Java E6 was huge, and then it was improving even more. And um, where were these projects? Were in Prague or uh, they were in in Prague and. Uh, for some time, I, I come, came back to Slovakia, to my hometown, mm-hmm. Nitra, uh-huh. and then came back to Prague. Mm-hmm. So it was into these two locations. And you, and you studied where? Uh, I started in Prague because that's where I went to the university, okay. then lived for two, two years in Slovakia, and then kind of came back to Prague. Nitra is a really nice city. So uh, last year I was for two days or one day. They wanted a microservice workshop, so I was in Nitra for one really? day. And uh, really nice landscape. So I drove with by the car from Bratislava to Nitra and back, because it was harder to reach Nitra by the plane. And, uh, yes. Uh, yeah, and yeah, really enjoyed the time. It's 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 the the oldest city in Slovakia, in maybe even Central Europe. Oh. Mm-hmm. One, Cool. What uh, interests me right now is, uh, did you like actually J2E and Java? Or was it like you oh. know, painful for you? You just did it because you got a job? Or what's the story behind that? Yeah, for with J2E, I started just because of, of the job. I really didn't know. Like, I had mixed uh, impression mm-hmm. because it... I was just starting. I was junior, so I didn't know how other companies, other projects do with other things. I just started to learn what's the enterprise word, word even in the J2E, like what's what's enterprise about it. 
So I thought that uh, enterprise means it needs to be complicated because it needs to take uh, in considerations about transactions and and reliability and lots of stuff. But still, it was really confusing and complicated to write a lot of code just just to create an object or a component like uh, like EJB. And that was uh, for that reason. I think that was a lot of uh, code generation to simplify this. Or it wasn't simpler; it was just faster to to bootstrap. Yeah. It, in the end, chocolate, I guess you used back then. Right? I think and at that time I was really studying, so I really didn't know how the, yeah. all those things are named. But there was there was some XSLT and an XML and mixed with Java codes. But in the end, even the generated code, it, you you had to read the code to understand what's going on. So yeah, it was just a small help. But at one point of time, with Java five or Java six, you like that or? With Java E five, uh, there was a huge difference because even even with Java E five, you could just create an uh, EJB with with an object and. Uh, use the add EJB annotation to inject it into another EJB. Uh, the only drawback was that the dependency injection worked only with EJBs. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you didn't have to, I, I think you didn't have to create those remote interfaces. Uh, no, but you, but, you need, but, but you needed at least one interface. So in Java 5, yeah. I think you needed an Yes, I, I think so, but it was still a lot less code than yeah. with J2. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, and since Java 6, I think it fixed uh, a lot. In Java 6, we just can inject classes and we got CDI and I'm perfectly happy yes. with Java 6 and Java 7 and Java 8 are, from my point of view, minor improvements, but uh, I'm really happy already with Java 6. Yeah, yeah, that was the, the beginning of... Uh, or the beginning was Java 5 because it was changing the, the thinking about about the corporate framework and then Java 6 got it uh, well from the beginning. Yeah. So, this was 13 years ago. This, uh, I think Java 5 was around 2005, 2006. And uh, yeah, and people still remember. True, but to, to my company, to my project, it got around 2010 uh -huh. or so. So you can see that it still took a long time to adopt all these te technologies in, mm -hmm. in the enterprise. Mm -hmm. And so you did uh, the financial job. What you did afterwards? Because right now you are working with Payara. So what happened between? Oh, <laughs> so I, I had three or four jobs. All of them were in financial institutions. Uh, but uh, uh, I was um, like, when I um, had a daughter, mm -hmm. uh, I I had a lot of time when I could um, or. Uh, like I, I felt bored sometimes when I had to had to take child uh, care of the, of the child, so I was uh, listening to podcasts and trying to to do something beyond the regular work. Mm -hmm. And even during the work, when uh, in 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 financial industry, you had some boring days when you have to wait for other teams to to give you some task. So sometimes you have a lot of work. Sometimes you have almost no work at all. Mm -hmm. And in those um, spaces uh i try to learn try to watch videos and try to follow what's what's new on the internet so i try to uh, uh, be uh, le learn the new stuff and explore mm -hmm. 
uh, what's cool. And then I got to a conference uh, in Prague where it, it was uh, the first and probably the last one, which I paid by myself an entrance fee. Mm-hmm. Um, and people around me were just asking me, why are you really paid this, this money to go to the conference? And I said, yeah. I want to learn what's new, what's new, and meet being the people who talk about these things. And I discovered Twitter at that at that time. And Twitter is not really widely used in in Czech Republic or Slovakia. People generally don't don't use it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the conference, I saw that everybody used that. Every speaker used it. So it was like four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. And then I discovered. Uh, Aspire. I think some, somebody uh, told me about, about this project in uh, one of my jobs. Or uh, yeah, actually, uh, I got an invitation to to um, to change job. Uh, I got an offer to change job in, in Nitra, but at, at the time I was moving to Prague, so I uh, so they offered me to train their team just for two weeks. And that was basically how I started training people. Occasionally, it's not my um, primary thing to do, but sometimes I, I train uh, other teams. And at that time, one of the team members told me about uh, PyRI, showed me this. And then I started to follow uh, PyRI on Twitter. And after one year or so, uh, I saw that there is this opportunity and I really liked it to change. I, I took the... Uh, challenge of changing my job from from developer to being something else at Pyra uh, and do with something else from the other perspective not from the user perspective but from the the provider or vendor perspective uh, because I really liked uh, writing frameworks and and doing to creating tools for other people to use mm-hmm. um and yeah after year after the that colleague uh told me about Pyra, I came back uh, to train the team again. And I told him that I'm working for Pyra. So <laughs> that's cool. the story. When was it? So when you started with Pyra? It's uh, roughly three, it will be three years in March. Okay. So almost three years. Because uh, I just noticed that uh, uh, there is you know, a new kid on the block called Ondro and delivers <laughs> talks about reactive and microservices. And I always wanted to attend your talk, but never managed to do this. And even what I recognized is you were at WJAX in Munich, and I was also in Munich at the same time, and I didn't manage to you know, to listen to your talk. I say, okay, what I can do, I can invite you to a podcast and then ask you about things, what you are actually doing. Um, what are you doing at Payara exactly? So are you uh, the uh, server hacker, or what's your job at Payara? Yeah, I, I said that... Uh... It's a, it's a, it was a challenge for me to, to change my job. So I'm not now a, a full-time developer. Mm-hmm. I used to be a Java e developer. Now I'm not a developer almost at all at, at Payara. It doesn't mean that I don't do programming, but I don't do production programming or product programming. Um, mm-hmm. I support uh, customers, mm-hmm. uh, m- mostly when they have issues, but sometimes when... Uh, I, I teach them or train them when they have uh, problems with their application or we discover they have some issues in the application and we uh, I, I explain them how they can improve their application. And that that takes about uh, half of the time of my job and the other half is uh, I, I try to work with the community uh, 
and create create stuff for the community. Go to the conferences, talk about uh, mostly Java, Java, Jakarta, E, MicroProfile things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so a so bit of evangelism or developer relationships. Uh, okay. I, I don't have a term for that because uh, yeah, so it's I, not in my. I would call <laughs> it. Exciting job, right? So you can yeah, do, yeah. it's yeah. exciting for me because I I work with customers, I work with people in the community, with users, with fans, um, and I'm visible, so I can even connect people I, I already know, and I, I know that I should meet or I, I can enable some people mm-hmm. to do stuff. And I'm also it, it's not part of my job, but I'm also. Uh, helping to run a uh, uh, Java user group in Prague. Oh, so that's also another way how I can, how I can enable things to happen and connect people. So I, I really love doing this. Okay, cool. I never was a, a Java user group in Prague, so I always wondered: is there something? So like, uh, Prague was really quiet. Yeah, we, we, we don't have much time for that because yeah, <laughs> okay. I'm quite busy and the, the other two people running the group are also busy. But we have uh, monthly meetings okay. if, we can, if we can get speakers. Most of the speakers are local. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I, I asked you to come to, <laughs> to to Prague like two years ago. But um, at the time, we were really busy and I think you were all busy yeah but uh, we can do this so Prague for me is another big deal so there is a flight and even by car is doable so uh, yeah. we, we should talk again so if you have a slot we can do it so Prague would work okay but it should be you know it will be probably a Java related topic <laughs> yeah sure <laughs> and um, okay so we covered lots of ground and uh, are you aware of SunGrid you heard it before no, I haven't heard. It was uh, it was before uh, Oracle acquired Sun, so a long time ago, and I think even three years before. So I think it was around two thousand, I would say six or seven, something like this. And uh, what what happened at Java One conference? Uh, Sun announced like they have like Sun Cloud. They call it Sun Grid. And I said, hey, cool, this is uh, really interesting because what I assumed what will happen is that you can just, you know, uh, create a jar and, and upload the jar on application server or somewhere and then you can focus on business logic and then you're ready to go. And this was like terrible technology, even even worse than GWT. So you had you no know, do some packaging and, and deployment and whatever. That was like huge effort, you know, to ship one function or one main method to the cloud and um and uh, now we have you know microsoft cloud and and uh, google cloud and we have aws and oracles and what really wonders me the whole conversation we had so far as you take a look to, for instance at, at the google cloud and uh, so you you ship your business logic and then you have a couple of singletons and the singletons you know fetch their resources and uh, it is like programming 15 years ago. So like, uh, you know, we had Java code and it built some singletons factories to pull some services. And what I wondered was always, if I had a cloud, what I would do is, like if you take a look at the application servers, right? Let's, let's we are at Payara, just take the Payara. It is just uh, that the application server could already run in the cloud. I wouldn't be interested at all in the application server. And my idea would be, you know, just to, 
have a thin war with the business logic, just upload it per SCP or whatever to the cloud, and then probably have some proprietary, a little bit JSON descriptors, which say I need a database or whatever, like a staging tool, like in Kubernetes. So you need the key value pairs, the staging environment. And then I would do whatever I can injectable. So I could say, let's say, at inject at NoSQL database, at inject whatever, and I would just inject the interfaces or classes, and this would be the cloud 2.0. This would be extremely productive. This would be, you know, very fast because I just ship a minimalistic war. And this does not happen. So I ask myself, why not? Instead, I see, you know, serverless and function and lots of overhead and packaging again. It's like, who is interested in this again? So you were in the XDocLet time frame, I was there, and now we have exactly the same, you know, again with the clouds. And what I saw is a tweet from you, like uh, serverless wars, and it's like, we have to talk. And I have, it is really hard, you know, hard to do it via email, so I wanted to do it via podcast. So what is um, your idea behind the serverless and wars? Yeah, uh, hearing you describing all, all that you said uh, is very similar to what I imagine. Like, uh, I, I thought myself, like, people... So people know about the term serverless. Not so many people know what it means. But basically, when when I studied uh, how this is done or, or what serverless means, it's especially in Amazon, which popularized popularized it. It's just uh, pieces pieces of code here and there, and uh, gluing them together to create an application, and then the infrastructure that to run them individually, scale them individually. But uh, I always try to map things uh, which I see to to the standards, if the existing standards can cover them and how, how they match to existing technology. And to me, it seems that in, in Java EE, it's very close to REST, uh, REST services, which are basically uh, methods for every, every REST request. They have a method which you call and it returns something. And it's very similar to functions uh, in Amazon Lambda is just a different API. And uh, uh, even when we come back in, in the time, you mentioned SunGrid or something like that. Uh-huh. I haven't heard about it, but, uh, but I remember the first cloud, I think, that I know of was Google App Platform. And it wasn't really cloud like we know today, but it was an application platform that, that runs in the cloud. But uh, what that was cool uh, at that time. But what I didn't like about it, it uh, offered its own APIs, and it wasn't possible to just create an application and just later decide to run it in the Google App Platform. You have to design the application to run in the in their cloud, uh, and then it couldn't run anywhere else. So, so I wasn't really so excited about this. But then the history confirmed uh, my concerns and, and people started using Docker and all the cloud vendors started to support Docker and Docker is kind of de facto standard of packaging applications and you can run, package any application in Docker and run it locally and in the cloud. And then the same same thing with Kubernetes. Uh, so it seems that uh, people really or uh, to uh, really create or support wide adoption of technologies in the cloud 
uh, it's necessary to create some standards which you can use in any cloud or even locally so that uh, you don't have to think about these technologies when you create your application. And, and with uh, running Java in the cloud, it should be the same thing. You can create Java E application just running on your uh, application server on your computer, but then why not deploy just WAR file on, on the on the clouds as it, as if it was uh, serverless cloud? Just not not thinking about uh, uh, how the server is configured, no? configured how, how it uh, which which is the type of the server, and just deploy the WAR file on the server. And if you need to run, have more services, you can bundle them in one WAR file or uh, have different WARs for different services or let's say functions, whatever. Um, and But just use uh, standard packaging technology, standard API, which people already know, and make it easier to use in the cloud and, and run in the cloud. So... But you are even step further, one step further. For me, it will be the first step, just increase the usability or developer ergonomics or developer experience. So uh, it doesn't even have to be, you know, a standard. So what I just thought about is, before I would create a singleton and expect my developers to, you know, instantiate the singleton, fetch, you know, the NoSQL data store or Kafka queue or whatever, we could just make it injectable. And the next step, step you would be, let's say we are using Payara. So we could create a Docker super image, like, like let's say uh, Payara Google Cloud image. And this Payara Google Cloud image would already be in the private uh, Google registry. And I would just inherit from that, add my war to it, and I would and I would need just the Google API, which will comprise the all the interfaces with the proprietary Google stuff, which are injectable. And then in my source code, I can just say, you know, add inject, uh, let's say, the proprietary NoSQL store, and this would improve my my productivity a lot. And and this is like, it doesn't happen. And I see, why not? Because this is so easy to implement. And we already did it in proprietary projects uh, on, on OpenShift, uh, which, which worked uh, similarly. This was really another big deal. You know what I mean? So this is make a little bit more... You know, one step further. Then, of course, we could write like multi-cloud uh, SQL store abstraction, like GenoSQL from Jakarta, uh, Jakarta E. So we could use it later, but this is not even required at the first step. Uh, I, I was thinking from a different perspective, from from a developer perspective who just creates an application and wants to run it in the cloud. So uh, I wasn't thinking about proprietary free features. Uh, for those, yeah, I, I would agree that there would need to be some something layer to make it possible to inject uh, proprietary cloud uh, objects into the application. But I was just thinking, of, I, I want to create a, a web application which doesn't use anything from the cloud or maybe uses some messaging and, and data store, but they all can be mapped to JMS and, and JPA and then just this deploy to... to a cloud service that I can just configure later and hook up uh, all the, the database to a data source and uh, messaging to JMS. But um, yeah, but this is almost solved, right? Because if we have Docker, we could just use stock Docker to Kubernetes, and we could package uh, our uh, Payara 
with uh, with the war and ship it. The only problem is I don't like to ship the Payara all the time. So what I would like to have that there's like Payara service at Google Cloud where the Payara is already set up. So I just exactly this is this is the first step, you know, uh, right? Yeah, ex exactly. What that's what I mean. That uh, the cloud vendor, cloud provider would run an application server or. Uh, not even one application server. It could run a pool of application servers so that it, you can scale your service. But uh, this would be handled by, by the cloud. Mm -hmm. And you would just use it, maybe access some administration console or, or a remote uh, API to deploy your application and then pass the, let's say, JSON configuration file uh, to, to the server. And that, that would be it. Uh, with the Docker, you still... Uh, if if you, if the Docker image is prepared by somebody else for you, that's that's um, maybe one of solution. Mm -hmm. But if it's not, you have to still think about uh, if you choose Pyre or WebLogic or whatever is, or, and and whatever system uh, underneath. If it's uh, Amazon Linux or Ubuntu or whatever, but it shouldn't matter. So if we just focus on business logic, the war is just enough. Uh, the, the, the current application servers are, I would say, portable enough. So what I really do right now, I'm developing on Payara, Open Liberty, and Wi-Fi at the same time. Just I'm curious whether the application works everywhere. And it just, uh, my war is deployed constantly to the three servers, and there are no issues. So I think, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, if you think about, you know, uh, the um, Amazon Lambdas, this is the same story. You just, you know, create your Java stuff, and you ship it to cloud, and you not care about the Linux or whatever you have, right? Uh, yes, that that's true. So, so your concern is uh, to integrate uh, the vendor stuff into the, the application in a seamless and easy to use way, right? Uh, it would be two steps for me. The first step is that uh, let's say a uh, a vendor could or a cloud vendor could support Java E or Jakarta E with MicroProfile would be the best. Let's say uh, Java E Next or Jakarta E with MicroProfile. And they can pit, pick whatever server they like. So I, I wouldn't care about that. And uh, But let's stick with Payara. You, you know Payara, I know mm -hmm. Payara, so let's go with Payara. Let's say they will use Payara, but I wouldn't know that we have Payara. And let's say mm -hmm. I would like to ship a very basic Jaxores service. Then I would yes. create a war file with the Java 8 um, RP dependency, just API dependency, just this, nothing else. And then it will ship via proprietary channel. There is nothing standardized right now. So upload the war to the cloud vendor. The cloud vendor would create the uh, a sub image of the Docker, you know, uh, standard image they have. What, by the way, happens in private cloud all the all the time in my projects. So mm -hmm. there is this, we do it all the time. So there's nothing new. And then you will be ultra productive because you don't have to know the fiddle with the functions. The whole packaging format is solved. All Maven supports that out of the box. The only thing what you will have to do is just to upload the war. And uh, this would be step one, but this would be a huge improvement of usability, and this would be a lot easier to use than, for instance, lambdas, right? Right, right. So, and then the next thing is, so the cloud vendors would like to sell something. So say, um, you know, this uh, Google Cloud would like to sell, let's say, the, the, their NoSQL data store. So in this particular case, they could do, if you like, we can make our stuff injectable. So you just say add inject our interface and we inject your, our interface. This is just, you don't have to use, you know, singletons, factories, constructors, 
just very thin and lean and productive programming model. And this could be easy, easy, uh, easily achieved by extending Payara, Whitefire, or Open Liberty, and providing you know producers functions. They would just hide the singleton, and then you can use you know all the Google's uh, cloud uh, infrastructure in very productive way. Mm -hmm. I see. You know what I mean? And this is some it doesn't happen, and I wonder why. Who, who cares about the old singleton and all the infrastructure, right? And the next thing ah. is what, what I what I also see is a huge backlash uh, for lambdas. So I see lots of startups. If you start with lambdas, what, what you have from the programming perspective, you get basically, you know, a collection or set of command patterns. And uh, so if you would do it, let's say, in plain Java, you will have, you know, classes with, uh, or methods called do something with uh, input parameter and return value. And you will have, you know, to chain these functions. But in any more complex projects, you will end up having a lot of such commands. So we had it 10 years ago, this was command was very popular and lots of the projects struggled in order to find out what actually happens behind the scenes. And with Lambda, it is even worse because the whole functions became distributed. So I would say Lambda is great as a replacement for message-driven beans, you know, like doing something with the event stream, but it's, I think, a really, really terrible uh, and general programming model you cannot just implement you know uh, uh let's say a mid-range application just with lambdas because it is a really hard to maintain and hard to understand yeah i, I think the reason is uh that uh, basic, basically the 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 difference between uh innovation and and stability and this is also in development of the cloud, where you see that cloud vendors want to innovate, provide something new for their users. They often don't think about backwards compatibility. You see at, at Amazon, a lot of services are created, then uh, replaced by other services. And uh, there are a lot, lot of new changes. So it's not easy to follow what's what's uh, going on uh, in with the Amazon infrastructure because you have hundreds of services. And sometimes the services compete, so they are for the same thing. They just do it differently. And and with the Java E approach uh, or Jakarta E, uh, the approach is to try to find the the ideal. That that's the goal. It won't won't ever happen, but that's the goal to find the, the best approach uh, from all the approaches that were tried. So so to provide only one approach that is already proven. And that takes time and it's for a different audience. So Amazon with Lambda targets uh, maybe startups or, or projects where they really need some, some solution for their pains and there's nothing else and nothing proven. It's like when, when you need to uh, attach something to a wall and you just have a hammer and nail and it works, so you use it. But when somebody that discovers a screwdriver and... Uh, yeah, uh, you can you can screw something to a wall, but then also unscrew it and replace it. It's more flexible, but it takes time to to develop these flexible yeah. and other things. Well, it also begins to change. So um, last year, I, uh, lo I I don't know why, but uh, lots of startups approached me to help them with uh, well, you know with doing something, uh, implementing uh, their ideas, and if they showed them the Java application server. Uh, uh, that they, they they say what is it? They they had no idea about Java E and all the stuff, and I just uh, you know 
explained Etijack, Jaxores, and one class three, uh, and and say you can go to database. Here's JSON, and they say, and that's all. So yeah, and and they say, what's about the clouds? Like if you have this, we can you now run on Docker whenever you like. Everything was solved, and they were really delighted because before that, they 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 wanted to have lambdas in NoSQL. They thought you know in the clouds they have to use lambdas or serverless, and they have to use NoSQL. And they showed me the code, and the code was like no kidding. It was like a 2,000 lines of code of infrastructure. And they wanted even introduce more code. And what we have right now is a, a thin wall. And uh, this is what, 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 you are, what we are saying with the... Uh, my point is, done right, Java E would be more productive and more easy to understand. So this is, uh, this is what, 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 what my idea would be. And... Um, and uh, the Jakarta is the next step. So that will find, you know, a common abstractions from all the clouds. And this is a little bit, you know, against innovation because it's really hard to coordinate all the clouds. But the first step would be to rethink who, who is in charge of the application server. If I have to configure the application server on my side, I'm not serverless. The application server should be hidden in the cloud. So I'm just, you know, pushing the wars and uh, this was how OpenShift started with the source to image, and uh, source to image, and uh, with we could point to a Git repository, and you know it will build everything in the cloud and create a war. But um, this building everything in the cloud is going is goes too far. I would just would rely at the, at the war first, and this would be a, this would be like you know lambdas on steroids because or lambda easy to understand. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree that uh, Amazon did a good thing to um, popularize this idea. Maybe it's not for, for every project, but it's one one solution for some projects uh, and goes further than microservices. So I saw a project where, where it made sense, not, not build a whole solution, but maybe only some components in uh, in Lambda and serverless architecture because there, there, there are obvious architectural benefits. Uh, but the same thing can be done with more standard tools. It's just, uh, you, you know it yourself, when you try to prototype something, you don't think about the uh, purity of the code or if it if the code will live long. You just try to do something that works. And if it doesn't work, then you throw it away. And if it does, then there's time to improve. So, so that's what, what Amazon is doing, although I, I don't think that they are the company that is thinking about... Uh, standards at least right now so so maybe if other uh, uh other players in the field would force them to do so because they cooperate and they would yeah what but, i think what they don't see is the added business value if they would introduce something like war packaging um they could you know get more developers because of standardization this is what yes, I don't see. I yes, don't like they, you know, they the, stan see. the standardization for the sake of standardization rather than using standardization to be more productive and uh, and have simple applications. This would this is my idea, you know. Yes, I, I believe that there's a value in, in that. It's just uh, I think they are targeting probably different uh, different uh, users who, who want to be more progressive and use the, the modern technology. Yeah. Yeah, the, they don't the like apps, the boring yeah, proven stuff. This is this is the truth. <laughs> yes, and, and maybe they're for focusing more on standards. And currently, uh, Spring is quite quite a big deal. Also, so 
you you can use Spring with Java E, but also outside of Java E. So mm-hmm. they they just support whatever is on the market, and there's not only Java anymore. There are, there are things written in JavaScript, but even on the server and in in other languages. So uh, these vendors would have to focus on on Java and the subset of Java, which is ja- Jakarta EE. And they're probably not so interested. So I, I believe there has to be some vendor who has relationship with uh, a strong relationship with Java and and Jakarta EE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but wait a second. For instance, uh, Google Cloud. You have the Google Cloud endpoints, and this is basically a JaxOS resource, or they already have it. Or if you go, you know, to Amazon, they also support Java. So what I'm talking about is just from their perspective, if they support Java. They, they they could just a little bit more you know uh, sy- syntactic sugar to make it really productive. This is what I'm talking about. Not like they mm, should you know yes. replace everything with Java rather than if they have already Java. That's true. Yeah, it's just maybe, maybe some somebody else has to show them how to do that because I, I don't think that Amazon cares so much about enterprise Java. They are just okay with supporting Java and let other people do whatever they want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but comp- vend- comp- maybe vendors like IBM or, or Red Hat or even maybe Google yeah. uh, could, could show how, Asia. how to do this. Oh, yeah, Microsoft too. Yeah. So- and um, what I forgot to mention, I completely forgot before the conversation, before uh, it was in December, so a, a few weeks ago, what I implemented, and I completely forgot to announce that, is the Payara 5 S2I builder for OpenShift. So there is, uh, this is my GitHub account, so if you like, take a look on this. And what this thing does is it inherits from a prepared uh, Payara Docker image, and it uses the Payara commands. So this is like the you know pre-boot commands to configure the Payara. Mm-hmm. And then you have your, your Payara in the cloud. And uh, what only happens is what I said right now, with the Payara commands, you can say I need a data source and so forth. What I also did, I prepared one folder for the GDBC drivers, and you are shipping one war with the driver and a text file, and it works perfectly in all private clouds. And uh, so the you know, the effort was like, I think, three days of, uh, I'm still not satisfied. Yeah, I will have find some time to have, um, the, the builds are not even uh, incremental. So it builds everything from scratch, and the whole shipment of Payara takes about, I would say, five to 10 seconds. And this is based on this on uh, on and runs in op- on OpenShift. It could run in whatever cloud you have, which are Docker based. So I did it for uh, for myself and also for a company. And I asked myself why it doesn't happen for for the clouds. And I saw your tweet, so I wanted to have conversation with you first. And now it's documented, so we can go you now with the podcast to a cloud vendor and say, "Hey, listen to it. There are some ideas where it, where you can improve and probably get more customers." You shouldn't forget there are lots of worse projects out there. And I think some of project would be really happy just to ship their stuff directly to the cloud without any repackaging, right? Yeah, um, definitely. I'll, I'll, uh, I have a look at it, and I think it's definitely useful for um, from promoting this or like showing showing people what's possible with the current technology and inspire cloud vendors what can be improved if, if they support it. And I believe that uh, cloud vendors are already looking at these uh, options. They, yeah, they are, are just uh, in, in the R&D phase where they evaluate existing uh, possibilities. I know that some cloud vendors are even exploring micro profile and support for it. Exactly. Um, 
So I think in in the upcoming months or at most years, we will see some progress uh, there, even from the cloud vendors. Mm-hmm. But it's good to have both uh, both uh, directions from from the users to use. Uh, whatever is already possible with uh, Docker and also from vendors to explore what they can do more to, to support this. Mm-hmm. I misuse you a little bit to present my idea. So uh, what were, what was your, you know, your diff, what you see differently or what were, you know, the idea behind your tweet? I will put it in the show. Well, actually, I'm pretty surprised that uh, our ideas are not so much different. It's just uh, my focus is different. My focus is uh on just getting things run on on, uh, on this in the cloud without uh, setting up an application server and too much configuration. So I'm uh, thinking about uh, creating an alternative or uh, how how an alternative based on uh, Jakarta E mm-hmm. uh, can be created uh, compared to what's already offered by uh, uh, Amazon Lambda. Mm-hmm. And there, there's, there are still a lot of things in Amazon Lambda. Uh, I'm not an expert there, but I think that you have to uh, create a lot of configuration, how to uh, tie all those uh, functions together, how to route them from one to the other and configure them from inputs and outputs. Uh, so this is still beyond simple functions. And I, I think people underestimate it sometimes. Yeah. And they, they, it's not enough to just create a lot of functions, but you have to also manage them somehow. And with the Java technologies, it will be a, a lot simpler because uh, first, uh, you, you most Java developers would be familiar with uh, the API. There, there are a lot of resources there and already a lot of applications using it. And I think that all the other aspects could be also specified in a similar way uh, that follows um, the principles of Jakarta E, um, and, and not just vendor-specific things here and there, and a sp- lot of spaghetti configuration. Yeah. To, to manage services. And per accident, what the application server did write was the deployment model. And uh, why that? Because with this clear separation between the application server and the business logic with the war, you can create a super image very easily where it's, for instance, it will comprise Payara full and then you can inherit from the Docker image or the container image and have, you know, the war. And with that, you are basically serverless. But if I would, you know, ship the application server with the war, first this is slower and then why I should do this and uh, it's also interesting. At the AirHacks last week's Last week, uh, the last air hacks in December, uh, there was one attendee who uh, cared a lot about security. And what he told me is that uh, they had never issues with thin wars because in the whole security pipeline, the uh, thin war was scanned, but there were no dependencies inside. So there were never security mm-hmm. issues. And they try you know, to use Uber jar and super jars. And there were lots of critical issues they have to deal with because the whole infrastructure was shipped over and over again with the war. And the reason why they use Java E is because the war was empty. And the application servers were hardened by the uh, by the operations, and they were already in the private registry. So just pulled the application server, which was already approved, and didn't have to recheck the application server over and over again. This was a really compelling story, which I didn't uh, never never thought about. In my project, we just separate that because of speed. If I my worry small, mm-hmm. deployment is faster, right? 
And one important thing is also that uh, you, you can let somebody else uh, take care of, of security of the application server and the system. Because if there is some, some patch release, you don't have to think about it. Uh, your cloud or like previously operations, but now it would be cloud who would patch the server and the system. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to think about it. Everything is safe. Yeah, and uh, cool, cool story. Um, you actually, fault of your company. One of my clients had an issue with uh, with Payara, and they 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 pay for support, and they reported issue to you, and you, uh, the Payara guys, provided the patch very fast, and you asking asked constantly my client, you know, uh, does it work? Does it work? And the client had no time to test, and they say you are you are delivering the patches faster than they they actually retest everything. So it was a funny story. So absolutely. So if the vendor, uh, you know, provide your patches, you have a clean, clear separation between the runtime environment and the business logic. Logic. And if you think about this more deeply, this is already serverless. The only thing is, in a private cloud, you would run your server by yourself. But if the server would be in the cloud, there is no no visible server. You have just your JAXORS endpoint and your business logic. And for me, there is no conceptual difference to Lambda. Yeah, exactly. I, I definitely agree. <laughs> yeah, it's a boring said, conversation. It's... We need someone who doesn't agree. You know? <laughs> so like, say, oh, Java like, is bloated or whatever. And... Uh, yeah, we could have that discussion too, and maybe that may, maybe there we would have some disagreements. But but here, I think our views are similar. Uh, it's just uh, we learn from each other because we have different perspective, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, we could talk about uh, not why why we should support Java E or Jakarta E in the cloud because many people think it's dying and it, the, nobody's using it. Uh, but uh, the reason is one of the reason is that uh, Java E is becoming more open with an Eclipse with Jakarta E, and there's already microprofile project which uh, um, combines effort of different. Uh, people and companies not only traditionally related to Java E. So uh, the whole enterprise Java ecosystem is opening up. And I believe that uh, now even the cloud vendors and other uh, other companies in the ecosystem are looking what's going on. Some of them are already participating in the discussions. Yeah. So I hope to see some cloud vendors participate in Jakarta E in uh, and with the motivation of using it in their services and supported it, supporting it in their services directly, not only supporting running an application server, but already providing their services with the Jakarta E APIs. Exactly. Yeah, this would be great. So, um, where are you located right now? Where are you talking from? Are you still in uh, Prague? Or uh... yes, I'm I'm in Prague now. Ah, okay, I thought. Uh, but you are working with for Payara, right? Yes, yes, but I'm working remotely. Ah, so cool. A lot of our company has remote workers. So we have uh, to schedule really a Java user group meeting in Prague, and uh, <laughs> so I could we could talk again about that. And uh, can you talk about more exciting Payara features or what you're working on, or if if it's uh, we are working on some things that I can still okay, <laughs> no, inside but... the server. I I can tell that we are constantly improving Payara to work better and better in in Docker and the cloud mm-hmm. and improving monitoring. That's our main goal. And in, in the future, there's nothing really, really like what I would, like a feature that I would uh, 
can think about, but we are trying to uh, adopt uh, fast all that's on the market. So if there is micro profile version, we try to um, adopt it in the next uh, PyR uh, release. So you can see the history there. Mm -hmm. uh, most most of the micro profile versions were immediately supported in the subsequent PyR release. Mm -hmm. And well, what was there? Have you looked at Graal VM? Uh, yes, I know about it, but uh, yeah, uh, that since that you mentioned Graal VM, I realized that we're working on uh, we're in, uh, putting a lot of effort now into supporting JDK eleven. Mm -hmm. So that's basically one one of the biggest things now. We're not there yet, but maybe eighty percent cool. there. It's just uh, we we still don't support it because uh, we're not sure it, it runs 100%. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's one of the features we are adding to, to PyR5. Mm -hmm. And with GraalVM, maybe we'll look at, at it uh, later after we support ADK11. Mm -hmm. What is um, interesting, GraalVM, what would be really interesting is, uh, but this is a hard work, is the uh, cross-compilation to native. Yes, that that one is in really interesting. It's just there there are some issues that are already being solved. I discussed with other people from from Oracle because a lot of people who work on these technologies are in Prague actually. So I cool. know some of them in person and meet them at conferences. And they're they are working on supporting some some reflection stuff in the native binary because it's not straightforward. Exactly. Cur currently, you have to do something during compilation to to instruct GraalVM to to keep references to the reflection or objects that can be discovered by reflection. But uh, since this is already being worked on, it can be support or it can be used uh, with Java E mm -hmm. uh, too. Uh, so yeah, I think we'll we'll have a look at it during the year and maybe we'll support add support to GraalVM. Yeah, it would be interesting. So, thank you. Where people can find you on the internet? So, yep. uh, you can find me. The people can find find me on Twitter. Mm -hmm. uh, my Twitter handle is uh, Andro Make, mm -hmm. which is the first three letters of my last name. Mm -hmm. And I also have a, a web page, which is Andro dot Ingenia dot EU, which is like ingenious <laughs> Ingenia. Cool. Uh, and that's where all references to all my other uh, profiles are, Twitter, uh, Facebook, GitHub, and all the things. Cool. Then we should uh, uh, stay in touch. And uh, I would like to invite you now in a few months and talk about you know, the progress of something interesting. Let's see yeah. what we can do. So we don't have to introduce ourselves you know, again about you know, logo <laughs> programming languages. Just stick with serverless and the productive stuff. Okay. So thank you a lot. Thank you too. Bye. Bye.